Welcome to episode number 54 of the Ignite Physio podcast. This podcast inspires physiotherapists and other health professionals to continue learning and growing in their practice and throughout their career. We explore professional issues with a fresh lens and look inward, delving into topics that help to expand our capacity for growth. I'm Andrew. And I'm Axie. Got a bit of a different format for this episode. We had a great chat yesterday. A virtual uh, coffee. A virtual coffee that was sort of a quasi webinar. <laughs> we actually had slides. It was it was called a webinar. It yeah. was advertised as a webinar. Mm-hmm. And it was a webinar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it but it was it was really, you know, a podcast recording <laughs> as a webinar and it was it was good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I thought it was, and it was for the College of Physical Therapists in BC and had some great questions that came out of that and it was all about therapeutic relationship within this uh, telehealth rehab world that we are currently in. Therapeutic relationship and I would say we talked about just also the personal experience of, mm-hmm. of and that's that was that's important in terms of developing relationship like how safe does the therapist feel? How how revved up and anxious are you when you go into a yeah. an interaction and that this virtual world and and shifting so quickly mm-hmm. into this creates anxiety that can be that can be challenging, you know, when you're trying to develop relationships with people or have clinical positive clinical interactions with people. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so we're actually uh, just going to we had permission to share the recording and so we'll hit play and get you to our uh, conversation around telehealth and therapeutic relationship. Woohoo. Welcome, everybody, to our virtual coffee. This is going to be a little bit of a different style of webinar in that Maxine and I are going to be having a bit more of a conversation around the importance and role of therapeutic relationship and how we have to look at that within this telehealth world that we're currently living in. We'll be covering a, a number of different topics related to therapeutic re- relationship and covering both the clinical and research elements of that. But it's going to be you know, a little bit more informal conversation. And we'll definitely have an opportunity for questions at the end. We'll dive in. So we have a first poll question. And really, the question is, where are you with tele-rehab? We're actually interested to know what, you, what your emotional <laughs> state is with that. Not necessarily, you know, technical state. But where are you, you know, from an emotional standpoint? Excited, confused, frustrated, freaked out, confident. Responses are coming in fast and furious. This is good. So, so what we're seeing is excited is the the highest one right now, with about fifty percent confused at twenty seven, frustrated thirty three, freaked out twenty three, and confident eight. So the confident ones are, are definitely in the minority right now. Great that you're in that place, but you know, obviously for many of you, it you know combination of excited, confused, frustrated, and freaked out. So, so okay. Now before we go on, because yeah. this is what we do normally, right? Is go off on tangents yes so like okay so now when you take that poll do you feel all of those things or did you feel all of those things did you go through that whole all of those emotions Andrew or, or you know what I mean like how did well, you feel I, I think I think part of it is that I think there's this whole layer of the the pandemic that sort of throws the emotional state that I would have with doing tele-rehab you know, maybe a little bit out of whack, or but maybe that's just also part of our life experience right now. So I, I would say that I was probably initially, what would I say, maybe a little bit freaked out. I sort of went through that a little bit. And I had the overlay of that I was also changing practice areas right when this happened. So there was, you know, it's just sort of like the perfect storm. So and I would say definitely there's there's parts of like excited, especially when you start to get some clinical outcomes that you're like, wow, I actually can make a difference in someone's life and they, they got value out of this and they express that value. You know, I think that excited, but I think then I also get frustrated where I'm like, man, this was tough trying to get them to demonstrate something when, you know, the audio crapped out on me and I had to now do a dial in and I, you know, <laughs> the, the picture was blurry. Like, so I think that to me, I think, like, I think it's not uncommon to like to move through these emotional states within a telehealth session, within the day of doing telehealth sessions, within a week, right? So, so yeah, so I would say that let's do all of the above. How about that? <laughs> well, and, and yeah, so you have that emotional overlay of COVID and the urgency of doing it, right? Yes. So there's COVID, there's COVID in period, right? Mm. And you're changing work environments. We all have heard about the stresses around family and all of those yeah. things going on in the background and the noise. Yeah. But also then there's a sense of urgency. We got to do this. We got to do this quickly. We got to, yeah. you know, and so you start to get 
a little bit revved up. And then there's just the uncertainty of how this is going to all unfold, yeah. right? In a session where, where you're not, you may not be used to shifting your perspective or all of a sudden you can't use these. Mm-hmm. And how does that translate? And so there's that uncertainty there. But, you know, the excitement, of it, and I think we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but the excitement of it having, being an, oper- an actual opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'm going to be quiet now and we can, we can move on. So yeah, we no, I, hijack the whole set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is what we do. <laughs> so so <laughs> we should not be <laughs> too concerned about that. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the literature on telehealth, because I think that people are probably wondering. Does this even work? Can we even do this? I think, let's be honest, there's not a lot of research. You know, Max, I know that you were looking through some of that. We were sharing some articles. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, my take is that is that it, it, we're in the, sort of the infancy of mm-hmm. really of understanding this platform and service delivery and the effectiveness and satisfaction with service delivery through this platform. All right. So I don't know, like, is, is telehealth the intervention, <laughs> right? Or are we intervening through telehealth? That's a mm-hmm. philosophical discussion. Yes. I think that tentatively, what we have a sense of is that patients appear to be satisfied, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If it's, you're, not, you're not necessarily going to lose patient satisfaction through this, through this platform, yeah. right? This way of community, and that you can actually get outcomes, positive outcomes. I think right now it still depends on maybe the the population, what you're doing, all of those things. But in real life, in the real world, we're all dealing with those sorts of things as well, even with the interventions that we provide Uh in person. So, yeah, that's the sense I'm getting from from that literature. So it's heartening for me to to go, okay, so this isn't going to be like, it's going to be a failure. So Yeah, exactly. And I think that part of it too is that it's, it's easy to feel like, well, I can't give 100% of what I usually feel like I can give, right? Maybe that's, you know, diagnostic accuracy, maybe that's some of the hands-on treatments, whatever. And so then I then you sort of, it's like this all or nothing thinking of like, well, if, if it's not effective the way I usually do it, then it must not be effective, right? And I think that there's like this scale of level of effectiveness. And truthfully, you know, what I'm hearing is that patients actually are liking it better, right? When I talk to therapists and, you know, others in the profession, they're like, Patients are like, look, you're giving me undivided attention. Like, there is no interruptions. And so, I mean, we'll dive into this a little bit later. But I think that, you know, it doesn't have to, like, we have this perception that this necessarily is inferior or, or it's not adequate, right? And we just did a, just, you know, a snippet of a systematic review and meta-analysis that showed that the outcomes that were produced via video conferencing was similar to face-to-face intervention, right? And so even though the research is limited, I think that we can maybe let go a little bit of this idea that it's always going to be inferior in some way, right? Like, oh, well, we're just making do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and just from a, from a research perspective, not in particular to telehealth, but in, when we're talking about therapeutic relationship, research specific to therapeutic relationship, the, the work done in, in psychology, psychotherapy, like when, when we assess the quality of the therapeutic relationship and therapists assess it, and patients assess it, there's often quite a difference in yeah. the perceptions of therapists on the therapeutic relationship and patients. And usually the patient's perception has better correlation to outcomes. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think there's this, this idea of expectancy, what we perceive we need to be doing. This could totally be an opportunity to be able to even more so get on the same page with our patients. Yeah. Even if we believe we were on the same page before, this might create an opportunity to even, you know, expand that yeah. capacity, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, our perceptions don't necessarily equal the patient's perceptions. And let's maybe hold our perceptions and beliefs about telehealth maybe a little more loosely with a, more of an open hand and, and just sort of run some experiments, right, with your patients and see how did that go? Yeah. Ask your patients how that went, right? And, and I think we'll be surprised to see like, well, well, actually that was, we can maybe shift our perspective in a way that sort of knocks off some of our pre-existing beliefs. Well, a shifting perspective is also going to, it's going to influence how you approach, mm-hmm. right? How you approach what you're doing. Shifting your perspective is going to approach how you be in relationship, how you are in relationship and what you do in relationship and what you do within a session. 
-hmm. right? So when you're talking about, you know, ask your patient, (laughs) you know, that the idea of even thinking about consciously doing that more mm-hmm. within a session, opening up a space for the patient to come in and give you more feedback about mm-hmm. how things are going. So like even prepping people to be on telehealth, right? Like this yeah. isn't, this is going to be new for them too, for your patients as well. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting experience. And so even prepping them going, we're going to be working a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm going to maybe be asking you more questions than I'd asked you before. I'm going to be asking more for your feedback or how you're feeling physically or, you know, or, or, or those sorts of things. So, so this will give us an opportunity to actually talk a little bit more about what's happening and get more feedback. So I think, and I think what's interesting too, is I, you know, I've often had conversations with patients because I've been exploring this whole idea. Like when we were in person is the stress that a patient is in or under when they're getting an assessment, you know, they're meeting you for the first time, you're putting your hands on them, this is a new environment. And and then we forget sometimes that for patients, that actually can be a little bit stressful. And they may not be able to remember some of the things we say, there are a whole bunch of new information, all the takeaways, all this. And it's possible that they may actually be under less stress doing this in a telehealth session, because guess what, they're at home, you're not touching them. You know, they're not in a new environment, right? Like, so the thing is, we always think, oh, no, no, but the clinic environment is better because it's like less stressful. Well, it's less stressful for us because we're comfortable with it, right? But it's very possible that the patient may actually feel more comfortable in their home environment. This study, this qualitative study, sounds a bit crazy, but it was almost more personal. This qualitative study done on Australia. Yeah actually spoke to that patients felt and you know and therapists picked up on the fact this power dynamic where where we are in control in our environments yeah. and we control how things move and operate from the moment somebody calls into the clinic right and the moment they step into the clinic they don't have as much control over what's yeah. going to happen to them right? no. but in their home environment the, the patients in this study said yeah i felt comfortable and, and therapists were able to look at them in their environment yeah right and and be able to to see oh well we could modify that or we could do these sorts of things right so so expanding our our perspective we're always wondering about function yeah right and how to help people functionally yeah. and we have these artificial environments within our clinics right that that we work with but now we're actually in their home uh-huh. right so you can be innovative in saying hey can you take your screen over to your stairs yes. right and <laughs> and show me like how this is set up right and or how we can do this so i think it provides a lot of opportunity to work within the physical their their physical space and physical environment more thoroughly more 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 in depth more accurately uh-huh. maybe yeah, and, and, it, and it may be an opportunity for our patients to actually absorb more and retain more. And again, these are such important elements to patient transformation and healing, right? So, so I guess the thing is, is that the in-person we think as being like at the, the epitome or the top of the, you know, the <laughs> food chain of treatment environments, but it may not be for our patients, right? And for some situations, that definitely is going to be, you know, a lot different. You bring up safety and we're going to be talking about safety. Mm-hmm. Yes. in a bit but but that's totally when you're talking about being stressed out being more anxious we may be the ones who don't feel safe yeah. the patient, <laughs> right we're not feeling safe we're not feeling comfortable in this environment right now right and that's what that's that's can be expected all right yes. i absolutely i just told you i was a bit anxious doing this thing here today (laughs) we're used to just talking to each other right so (laughs) faces right so so i think that it's important to recognize and acknowledge the fact that as you said safety is is important and we'll talk about it later so i won't Mm -hmm. talk about it but you know we'll go a little bit into yeah that retention piece and Mm -hmm. and the importance Mm -hmm. of that well we've we've got another poll we're liking polls today. So we're curious to know where, what stage are you at? Yeah. Are you in that platform selection stage, the treatment adaptation stage, or that value offering stage? Uh-huh. Interesting. Looks like most people are doers right now. They're in it. Yeah. So probably if we would have asked that question two weeks ago, <laughs> we'd probably be, you know, a very different response rate, right? And so, yeah, so we have 16% that are in platform selection, 60% in treatment adaptation, and then 25% in value offering. I just have a slide here that looks at, you know, three key areas. And I've I've been having a number of conversations with therapists 
over the last few weeks, just asking like, where, where do you need help? Like, where are you at? And what I noticed was that, you know, we will start off in terms of like trying to solve this platform question, like what, how do I actually create a virtual clinical environment so that I can actually connect with patients, right? And then there is this whole thing of like, well, but I, now I don't know how to do, you know, my neuro exam, or how do I do a lower body exam in a virtual environment when I'm not used to this, right? So there's this whole adaptation piece of like, from an assessment standpoint, from a treatment standpoint. And then I think that this next, whether it's a stage or just sort of progression is, is you start to think about, well, what else do I offer, right? And, and for some of us, we're comfortable and are used to doing like providing physio without a lot of hands-on treatment, right? There's a lot of education, movement-based, you know, strategies. For some of us, it might be that we're used to doing a lot of modalities, whether that's manual therapy, needling, all these different things. And so we're saying, well, how, what, who am I when it comes to my interaction with my patient? What am I offering? And so I think then we start to explore, well, how else, what else can I bring to the table here for my patient? You know, because guess what? I can go through my exercises with them, but that may not take a whole session. So what else am I, what else am I talking about? What else am I going to be, you know, doing who I being with that patient experience? So I feel like most of you right now are in this treatment adaptation and it's absolutely, and, and I think, let's be honest, it can be exhausting, right? It can be tiring because you're thinking on the fly, trying to figure out, okay, well, I've got someone, you know, that I need to reassess or I've got to evaluate in some way. How do I do this when I'm in a 2D world right now? When I'm, you know, no longer have my hands to be able to, you know, pull in from a, you know, an input standpoint. And now I'm trying to get input from my screen when I'm trying to look at patients. So I would say that you're going to find yourself sort of moving in and out of these these areas too, mm. right? Because you may find that, oh, okay, well, now I'm doing something different. And now how does the platform relate to that? Or, you know, I've got this patient and I, you know, what am I, what, what's that value offering for them that I'm going to provide? So I think the thing is, is that it's okay where you're at. Like it's, it's not like one place is, is good and then not. And just recognize that it's a process. And I think part of it is just like, how do we support each other through this? Because a lot of this is uncharted territory. I mean, I am not an expert in telehealth. And I think there's very few experts in telehealth because it's just so new and we're all in the same boat, right? So, you know, I think if we can figure out how to make that work, but it's helpful to sort of know where you are generally. And these are just, you know, some observations that I've been making from our conversations. So, okay. So when I'm, I'm truly, I'm interested in this. <laughs> I'm interested in your experience. Like when you were selecting your platform, mm -hmm. what were some of the things that you had to consider or I mean, I suppose there's some obvious things that you would consider, like which platform are mm -hmm. we using Skype, yeah. Zoom, are we using, yeah. you know what I mean, that, that, that. But, but then when you're actually into the platform, things you mm -hmm. didn't expect, right, that you needed to, that, that now you're going, oh, okay, I could give somebody this advice or tell them, make sure you check this out, right? I mean, obviously, there's a whole, I mean, and I, there was, I think, college did a, a talk a webinar on, you know, where they brought in some folks to talk about that. So you know, I don't want to sort of rehash that. But I think to me, it's part of it is like, what's actually going to deliver the best experience for the patient, right? Like, you know, I've, I've been playing around with a few different platforms. And some of them, I just literally, you know, I find that the screen doesn't work, the audio doesn't work, like, and it's like, now, all of a sudden, it's like, you've created this barrier from a collaboration standpoint with the patient. And so it's it to me, it's like, how, how durable or how, like, how stable is that platform, I think is, is a huge piece. Because to me, you're, you're trying to create this trust with your patient. And the technology can erode that trust, right? Even, if, even though it may be completely out of your, you know, your hands, I think that that's, a, that's a, a tough one. To me, I think it's just like having a platform that works well is, is, a, is a big piece for, from what I've been looking at. And then the treatment adaptation has been a, is a, has been a challenging one too. And I think it's, it's tiring. I think that's the big thing. And just even from talking to therapists is that it's okay if you feel tired at the end of doing a few telehealth sessions because <laughs> you're having to think about these things in totally different contexts. So, yeah, you're having to do work differently. You're working differently, mm -hmm. so you're pro like there's a lot more for you. You're managing more, oh, right? Yeah. Mentally. Also, I was we were talking before before coming on, and I was saying how on the Twitter I I was starting to read this article. It was behind a paywall, so I only got the first like five lines or first paragraph of the article. Yeah. But but the assumption is is that this will be less. We'll be we'll be less tired, and <laughs> and and that actually we we aren't picking up nonverbal cues mm -hmm. uh, as much. 
But in reality, this, like I said, behind a paywall. Well, I was reading a similar <laughs> article on that too, yeah. But it was very interesting. The point that they were making, in turn, and I believe they had research behind it, literature behind it, was that we're actually being overwhelmed with nonverbal cues when we're in video conferencing like this because mm-hmm. my assumption is that because we're looking at one another all the time, there's no external break right? You're seeing somebody. So you may not pick up sometimes on the nuance of a nonverbal, but at the same time, you're getting a lot of nonverbals. Like people now, like if I'm, you know, moving my hands around, that's a lot of nonverbal. Oh yeah. And you, and you find yourself talking louder. You find yourself like, you know, straining. I, I, I was doing an assessment yesterday where, where I was literally like trying to look like this <laughs> into the screen because I was like, just, and I was like, oh, hang on a second. Me moving my head doesn't actually change the angle on the patient. But of course, it's like one of those things. Now you've got to communicate with the patient. Can you adjust your screen? Because I can't see the lower, like your foot. And I need to do that because you're having pain in your foot. Right. So, so it's like even that kind of thing where you're, you're, you're exaggerating your 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 body language. You're exaggerating your you know. You're enunciating more clearly, like you have to, because you want to make sure you're not having any kind of miscommunication through you know the video platform that you're using, right? So, but that's awesome, though. Like I imagine, like even you trying to do that, <laughs> right? If I were, I think that would have freaked me out a little bit because you were getting into my space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I mean like and and contrary to popular belief we do actually control proximity Uh within video conferencing right and that has an influence on non-verbally physiologically on people so that's important but you even trying to do that that would have been awesome (laughs) I don't think she was looking at me thankfully like she was actually trying to do what I was asking to her (laughs) but but I just caught myself as like whoa that's a lot of face on my screen there (laughs) I better back off a bit Hey, I just wanted to have a quick pause to introduce you to today's podcast sponsor, Soul. They're off-the-shelf moldable insoles, and it's the brand of insoles that I recommend to my patients and have for years. The reason I recommend them is that they're heat moldable by the patient, they've got a great arch support, and they come with options to help with different foot issues. It's really easy for customers to order, and when you refer them to Soul, they get free shipping and 10% off. Make sure to check them out at yoursoul.com forward slash health dash professionals that's y-o-u-r-s-o-l-e dot com forward slash health dash professionals all right back to the show that's a lot of face <laughs> well and i you know what i've been realizing is that i just feel like when you talk about the emotions of like telehealth right initially i was like dreading it i was like oh what is this going to be you know can i even do this whatever but then it was like the shift of like, you know what, I think this is an opportunity. I think this is an opportunity for us to take, you know, how we look at doing a biopsychosocial approach. We talk about it, it's buzzword, we, you know, whatever. But this is an opportunity to really sort of take that to the next level. And I think it's, it forces us to, right? I think it's so easy. Like if we start having a conversation in clinic with a patient about their pain and we think that they have a persistent pain issue, how easy is it to default to something that we do hands-on from a from the bio side, because the patient is giving us some resistance to have that conversation. And now we're like, well, but let's talk about it. Let's, can we explore this a bit more, right? It's almost like, well, I can't default to my usual or what feels comfortable or what maybe what the patient expectation is. Because guess what? The patient has no expectation that you're going to do hands-on with them in a virtual <laughs> video treatment. Like, <laughs> there is, there's, no, there's no default mode there, right? It's like, we've just erased that. So I think to me, I feel like there's just so much opportunity to say, like, this is an opportunity for us as therapists to really be able to look, when we talk about that value offering, it's not just like, oh, you know, whatever that I'm offering from a service standpoint, but what, how do I shift how I look at the patient, how I interact with the patient, so that I'm really exploring things that maybe I don't feel comfortable doing, because maybe I just haven't done a lot of that in the clinic setting. But I have this, I have this opportunity to, right? I have this like one-on-one dedicated time. And guess what? people are open to also talking because there's a lot of social isolation. And so the thing is, is that they may actually be very receptive to you asking questions about what's going on in some of these areas that maybe they wouldn't have had before. And the idea that, yes, I think this entire situation is stressful. By situation, I mean the pandemic in and of Mm -hmm. itself, right? That brings up different anxieties for patients, for people, for ourselves, but for for people that we're going to be working with, that are having different 
different challenges socially, social isolation or different yeah. challenges with working in different spaces or, or their mental state, That's you know, sweet. and how they're feeling. Yeah. So, or sleep or, or those sorts of things. And so really, I mean, I, we've talked about this before in terms of, you know, how, how many times have we heard, you know, I know my instructors when I was in school told me and I've told, and you read it all the time, you know, if you, if you do a great history, yeah, yeah. The patient, the patient will tell you, you. <laughs> with them, right what is going on and they will guide you to what they need right if yeah. you only and now now and and possibly in person we didn't we didn't feel we need we had the time to do that mm-hmm. right we didn't have the, the time to open up yeah. to po- that possibility right yeah. because there's this perception that we have that may be a false perception that if we open that space up for people to talk about their different social situations or their psychological situations, their mental states, that they're it's good, they're going to fill the space, and then we're not going to be able to shepherd things the way we need to mm-hmm. in order to control the interaction, mm-hmm. so that we have enough time to get to that next person in the next cubicle, yeah. right? Yeah. And and that's not necessarily the case. There's some great study in Germany actually highlighted with physicians that when when they actually just let the patients talk and didn't interrupt them, the average talking time per patient just for telling their story was 92 seconds. <laughs> Not 92 that long. <laughs> and, and, the, and, and the physicians were given the, were given the, the, the option to, at the five-minute mark, if, if a patient was talking for five minutes, they could actually stop the patient and they could start to intervene. Mm-hmm. Most patients didn't get to five minutes of yeah. straight-on talking. And also that the, the, the physicians found that the information that the patient was giving them just by opening up to their, to letting them speak, mm-hmm. right. Versus directing questions at them with, with a history, like how we typically take a history that might be a little more close ended in some situations that the patients were offering information that was really important yeah. and they wouldn't have wanted to stop them from talking. So you have to imagine that as a patient, being able to just tell your story without being inundated with questions mm-hmm. is, wow, like that's just, oh, you know. Well, and, and again, like how, how much better for a patient to be able to share their story where they feel like the, where that safety is present, right? <laughs> like, like that opportunity for you actually to just for them to share is going to be that much better when, when they actually feel they're in their, their own home environment where they're safe, right? Like, like to me, I think it just sort of allows that to to happen. That 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 interaction is just facilitated in that experience, right? So, and I think I, I just think too, like how many times is it so easy in our assessments or treatments to just gloss over patient goals? Well, so tell me, okay, so your goal is to get rid of pain, right? Yeah, okay, 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 good. Like, what was your other goal? Okay, good. And then you didn't move on to like, okay, now I got to go on to <laughs> you know my assessment or whatever, right? And I'm like, what if, a, what if we could actually just spend a bit more time with that? Because guess what? We have maybe have some time to do that. And we, like just what we can glean, I think it's just one of those things. To me, that's the opportunity too, is, is the richness of understanding their story may be the transformation for the patient too, right? I think that there's a bit of a decoupling that has to happen in terms of thinking that the transformation that we provide to our patients is solely by us putting their hands or our hands on them, right? It's solely by mm-hmm. us needling that muscle tissue or whatever, right? And looking at how that transformation for a patient can actually take place. It's bringing force on us, <laughs> but I mean, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I think that's, that's well, the opportunity. Well, well, and the opportunity also that, I mean, I think just with my work in therapeutic relationship, most therapists are going to tell you, yes, this is important. This is really important. However, I'm not going to get paid for developing therapeutic relationship, mm-hmm. right? I can't bill for therapeutic relationship development, right? Because we're, we're, we're in person and it's about, you know, what we're doing and the outcomes that we're achieving and not so much on the process mm-hmm. of what's happening, yeah. right? But that situation is providing opportunity for the pro- that process to come out. So, man, if we could refine, if we could refine our ability yeah. to be able to communicate, develop relationship, listen. be reflective as a practitioner, listen, mm-hmm. reflect back. Man, we could there'd be a value proposition then moving back to in person to saying, hey, actually doing this stuff was really important 
And now I need the time and the space to do this in person, yeah. right? With so true. And so yeah. there's that there's that translation back in, for us to be able to feel confident doing it in person, but also potentially to payers in that mm-hmm. in that. Then how do you communicate that? Hey, you want to know what? We did some really good stuff, and my this is why it was so good because of this process. And yeah. so you value this as well. Exactly yeah. right. I mean, it, it's the the possibility exists for for some of these the systems that we operate in to actually shift as well. It's not just us that's needing to shift in our treatment approach. It's beyond that. And yeah, and so there's a, there's an opportunity actually to I think shift our perspective from the idea of we're doing something to the patient mm-hmm. to working with the patient, mm-hmm. but then even on a higher level to how can I be in service and of service mm-hmm. yeah. patients and to payers, to, to third-party payers? How can I be of service to you or in service, right? Because I think with this pandemic, it's being highlighted that physical therapy is an essential practice or essential, essential healthcare service mm-hmm. um, is being questioned. I think this, once again, is an opportunity to say, actually, we can be of service. It may be in a different way, mm-hmm. but we need to be nimble. We need to be responsive uh-huh. and, and we need to be able to say, I got into this profession because I wanted to be of service and in service yeah. Yeah. for people and their health. Yeah. And so this is, this is offering us a space to expand uh-huh. how we can be of service, right? And especially in a pandemic, when we're in a crisis, it's like, okay, all hands on deck. What can I do? Yeah. Right. And yeah. how can I do it? Right. Yeah. yeah. Also, the fact that, it's a little bit scary for us to be able to, to kind of move through. And there are, there are going to be some frustrating things that we need to work through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's opportunity on many, many levels. I mean, let's, (laughs) you know, opportunity for our patients, opportunity for us as therapists, opportunity within the systems we work. So yeah, so we got another poll. Let's see here. What do we want to talk about on that slide? Actually, what are we? So what value have you been offering? Not needling, uh-huh. Not doing any manual. Uh-huh. What has been your value? Do you believe uh-huh. to your patients, and or have they told you, giving you feedback on value? What I think is interesting is that a lot, like, often patients are like, "Well, can you even do anything for me?" Because again, we may have conditioned our patients in some ways in terms of how we have delivered value, right? So I think it's harder for patients that we maybe have seen. And are conditioned to get a particular value from, you know, this, the sessions we do. And I mean, so for example, if I, you know, if I'm doing IMS with a patient, well, they're like, well, can you actually do anything of value for me? And then they're surprised when I actually can, <laughs> because the thing is, is that I think they will just assume that what I can do from like my movement evaluation and observation and deduction from history and physical exam, all that. Now, that's sort of just like this given, right? It's like, oh, well, that's sort of just in the background. That's just sort of, of course, you're supposed to do that. Where I really come as I come for you for the value of whatever, that you needle my shoulder or whatever it is, right? So, so it's interesting that they sort of forget all these other things that sort of encompass that. And they sort of focus on the small little part, because really, it's just a small part of this tangible value, because that's what they associate what I'm giving to them, right? And so... I think that that's been interesting in terms of having that conversation and just even being able to experience that shift for my patients to say, oh, well, actually, this was really helpful. Like, this was really useful. I'm surprised you're able to change my pain by just changing the way I moved, right? Like, so I think that has been interesting is like, how do I, how do I help my patients recognize that? Because until they experience it, it's almost like they, their default mode is, well, no, you can't provide value because in my mind, the value you've provided has been because of the hands-on blah, blah, blah that you've been doing. Okay, so here's the existential kind of piece of it because because I I'm I'm going okay you know I think you know you previously said well you were kind of wondering am I going to be able to offer value how did you did you stumble through that like how did you prepare yourself to be able to co- even communicate your value like if somebody said well can we how did you prepare yourself because like are you picking up what I'm putting down oh, like yeah, yeah and I mean I would say that I, I don't know if I did prepare myself very well I'll be honest. <laughs> It's not like I was like, let me contemplate on uh, how I did this. And, but I think that prepping the patient and prepping like, you know, just giving them cues for their environment, right? I think the thing is, is that they don't know what to expect. But if I can even just put in like a few minutes of 
you know, effort thinking, okay, here's what things you will need, because I think I can assume that I'm going to need these things. And I need you to have a space that you can do some things. And, and I think part of it is, so I think that that actually makes a big difference. Because otherwise, what happens is that the patient says, well, hang on a second, I'm not ready for this. So guess what, their stress level goes up, they feel now less safety, right? So I think that that idea of, of being able to help the patient with prepping their environment, I think makes a big difference. Well, and truthfully, I mean, I think it's like you sort of you muddle your way through it a little bit. But you know, I'm just being honest. But but I think that you realize, wow, there actually, there is a lot that we can do. Like, it's almost like we discount ourselves before we even need to discount ourselves. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, wait, yes, I do use a lot of observation. And oh, yes, there is a lot that I can glean from a history. And oh, yes, you know, yeah, I couldn't test this or, you know, and I've had patients where I say, hey, do you have someone that could help you know, I, I want to just be able to, I'm going to, I need you, an assistant to help with a bit of muscle testing. Cause I was just like, you know what, this is going to make my life way easier. And guess what? It did make my life a lot easier. So if I could, if I can help that set that up so that that's possible, then that, that even just makes it less stressful for me. And so then you're not trying to think on the fly as much. And so I've been playing around with, I mean, you've got to be creative. I think it really depends on your patient population too. You know, whether you're dealing with someone who feels really comfortable with technology, someone who doesn't, like all of those things, I think, play into it. You have to be innovative. You had mm-hmm. to figure it out. But also, I think you figured, and part of it, you reflected in practice and reflected on practice afterwards. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. Yeah. you had to reflect, right? And well, you had to go, what worked, what didn't work? And be okay with something not working. Exactly. You know? I think that's a big thing. And I think that, like, the way I like to think about it is you almost got to, you got to shift it from, it's a different environment. I mean, the thing is, is that, telehealth, like we, we can't somehow just translate this directly across the board from like in person to virtual, right? And so I think what I find helpful is if I can sort of take a mindset of like, I'm going to play a little bit, right? This idea of like, I need to play with this because this is going to make it more, it's going to make it more fun. <laughs> and I mean, if it's fun, then I'm going to be creative. If I'm stressed out, guess what? My, my frontal cortex is going to shut down and I'm not, I'm not going to like, I'm going to just sort of deep go to default mode, which problem is default mode doesn't really help me because I'm not in the same environment that I'm going to default to. So I can't do that. So I feel like if I can play, like, I'm just going to play around with this, right? And I think the, the and I don't use that language, my patients, but what I will say is like, you know what, let's, can we try this? Can we like, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but can we do this? And the thing is, is that patients are totally open to that, right? So again, I sometimes feel like it's so easy to like, we have this, like the little, <laughs> the two little gremlins on our shoulders are like, no, you didn't do that right. No, you know, like, and it's like, well, no, I like, we can be creative and it's sometimes going to be maybe a, a it's not going to be the direct path that we're used to getting in terms of like, oh, well, this is the way I usually assess this, right? Now I'm coming at this at a bit of a different angle. That's okay. But I think the thing is, if we add, if that gremlin's too loud on our one shoulder, like we're not, like we're going to just get frustrated with ourselves. We're going to, like, we're going to shut down our creativity. And I think that's problematic because ultimately there is no recipe for this, right? Like, that you can't just be like, okay, well, here's how you to modify your exam. Because guess what? You've got a patient that's unique to the situation. They've got a home environment that's unique to their situation. <laughs> and we've got you, right? So the thing is, we've got like variables coming on on all sides. So there is no recipe. And, you know, and obviously that would be helpful to some degree. But I think that if the idea of thinking of it is like, okay, how can I make this sort of a play thing? Like, and whether that's even just practicing with someone in your house you know, or a colleague that you sort of just want to be able to run through that, I think that can be helpful. So there's ways to do that, you know, not always on the fly. But I think that that's something that I've found helpful is, and I just really, I mean, it's really an invitation, right? Like we've talked about this on some of the podcast episodes is like, we're just inviting the patient, they're going to be receptive, they're going to be open to then trying to, right? If we sort of have this, mm-hmm. this, you know, and that's really, I think that's sort of that part of that therapeutic relationship in terms of collaboration, like, <laughs> this is a collaborative process, like, we need to work together, right? <laughs> yeah. And so there's the alliance piece, right? Yeah. So you need to be working towards common goals, agreeing on tasks, and you know, developing that that relationship or that bond in that. And so that collaborative piece, highlighting collaboration, right? Asking more questions of your open-ended questions. Yeah. Tell me about how it feels. What could we adapt? How did that work for you? Is there a place that we could do this in your, in your home? Like, let's, let's be creative together, yeah. right? In creating solutions. And so the, a collaborative mindset, even though we do, well, I'm not saying that, you know, in, in person, we don't, we just, you know, 
dish out treatments and that, that's not the case. Of course, no. we collaborate, right? We're more collaborative, but this opens it up more because we may have to offer more and we have to may have to get more input from them and help them become a part of that more. And, and language that I've been playing around with <laughs> is this idea of like asking the patient, can you be my hands for me, right? So like, I want you to feel this and can you like, can you tell me how that feels? Like, and the thing is that patients are like, yeah, of course. Like, you know, what do you want me to do, right? But the, th- the thing is then it like, and is it going to be as good as the way we feel? Maybe, maybe not, right? But the thing is, does it matter? <laughs> like the thing is they're giving us super valuable input and they're part of this process and helping understand their body, right? Like by getting them to be our hands, they are engaging in their experience of their body, which to me is just like, that's part of this transformative process that we're engaging with as therapists, right? So that I think is, that language I feel has been, has been helpful, right? Is, is, and again, it's an invitation. Can you be, right? They could say no. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, okay, well, let's, let's. Well, and, and like, honestly, like I became a little verklempt. Like, <laughs> verklempt. <laughs> like, honestly, that's very touching, you know? Can you be my hands, right? I'm like, oh, that's very touching, you know? And so, so it's, it's, yeah, there are so many layers to that, mm-hmm. that idea of how the patient then becomes engaged in in developing their awareness to, so it, their awareness to their body the body becomes that pivot point for connection again exactly. so it doesn't even it this is we're good at developing relationship by connecting through the body yes. helping people become aware of their bodies helping people move right but at the same time when we're in this situation we may feel like oh the body isn't a pivot point anymore yeah. i've got to do all these other things yeah and actually no you can come back to the body. You come back to asking people about their physical experience. You can come back to asking them to be your hands or maybe even your eyes, depending mm-hmm. on, on the scenario, right? Like, you know, tell me what's happening. Tell me what, what you're feeling. And that helps them become more aware of their bodies. That's a huge, huge part of developing therapeutic relationship, developing connections with patients. Yeah, exactly, right? And I mean, it's true because like we, in in-person sessions, we use the body and our palpation, all that to create that connection. We're getting, that's an information source for us in terms of what's actually going on. But we do have these other channels for communication, obviously the verbal, nonverbal, but letting the patient be a channel for that communication too. So, so that's been, that's been interesting. And, And something that I feel too is like, you know, just talking to, you know, about like how we have to adapt and be creative. Like I had a patient yesterday who I was needing to do some cane instruction. I wasn't at a clinic to be able to grab a cane to show her. So I had to use my kid's hockey stick to demonstrate <laughs> how to size a cane, right? Like, but it was like, I, like and, and, it's, and it's even allowing, I think, that space, you know, in the, those interactions to say, hey, do you, do you need to go get something? Like, it's okay if you're not in front of the screen as we're doing, like, if you need to take a minute out to go grab a cane that you have or grab whatever tool to, for us to go through an exercise or whatever, like, I think... Sometimes we feel like we have to be face-to-face, like 100% of the session, right? And it's like, well, no, but what if, let's be okay with they needing to go get something or they need to go do something, you know, to see how that feels. Like, we don't always need to feel like we have to have the camera on them 100% of the time as we're doing it. And I think what that does, it even just takes a bit of that pressure off and it takes a bit of the stress off for the patient. It just helps to maybe a little normalize a little more the interaction, like it would be in a, in a more an in-person session. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. This is Kathy in the background, just watching the time. Um, There are a few more slides to go through. All of this is totally fascinating and enjoying the whole conversation. I wanted to cue you that there are a couple of questions that you probably would get to in your later slides if we got down there. Mm -hmm. One is around how do you prepare for that initial session so that you're feeling at ease and confident and you can help the patient through that process? And then there are several things around how do you get good leading questions to allow patients to tell their story effectively? That's going back to what Maxie was talking about earlier about that 92 seconds that it takes for them to tell the story. So how do you get that out of a patient? Well, I think we kind of talked a little bit about this already, but how do you go about, how do you, first of all, how do you go about prepping yourself before an interaction, before a session mm-hmm. in this world, this virtual world? Mm-hmm. And then how do you prep the patient? when you enter the interaction? Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I actually, I feel still anxiety when I, when I do my sessions because I'm like, because I just feel like there's a bit of this pressure. And so 
I think to me, like one of the things I'm trying to work on incorporating, and it's something that we've talked about in podcasts, but like grounding myself, you know, and I, I think what's hard is because like in a clinic environment, I will ground myself before I enter that treatment room, right? Like I will, I will pause. I'll just take a deep breath. Okay. And then I will sit with them so that that communicates that receptivity and that opportunity for safety, all this stuff. It's different because I'm like, I'm doing a session at home. Like it's, so the thing is, is that like my environmental cues are not saying this is my treatment space, right? Like I try to prep it as best as I can for that. So I think that the more that you can have sort of that dedicated space for treatment, sort of prepping yourself, making it feel like, okay, I have the things at hand that I need or likely will need. Like, okay, I have a TheraBand here. I have this, I have that. I think part of it is also like, how am I in front of my screen? Like, am I showing half the ceiling? Am I, do I have a window behind me and the person can't see my face, right? So I think that that prepping, recognizing that we're in a 2D world here, how do I make myself, how do I improve that communication channel as much as possible? So I reduce the potential for noise, really, with, with that, I think. is And that noise can be visual, it can be auditory, whatever it is, right? I think that's really important. Like, really, I, I think that what we can do is, is it's a process, right? But like, just like we would do in a regular in-person session, today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go through this, this, and this. Is, does, that, does that sound okay to you, right? I think, you know, it's, it, I think it's very similar to telehealth. Like, okay, like, we want to go through, like, is someone at home with you? You know, like, who is there an emergency? Like, I just want to talk about a couple of those things to clear that up. Okay, today, what I'd like to do th- is go through this, right? Do you have a couple of things on, on hand? You know, if you if you can prep them before that, even the session, that's even better. Because I think we have to be honest, like patients don't really know what to expect. <laughs> you know, like it's one thing when you've had a few sessions with them telehealth, they're like, okay, yeah, cool, whatever. But if it's like a first session, you're dealing with someone that maybe an older adult that's maybe not as comfortable, I think they don't really know what you're going to do. So I think the more that we can explain, here is what the session's gonna look like. You know, it may feel a little different because we're not, I'm not going to be doing some hands-on things, but there's a lot that I can provide within this session. But first, I want to ask a few questions, whatever, you know, like just sort of that kind of thing, I think can really put someone at ease and just say, okay, this is good. This is pretty normal, right? And I think that that's why that collaboration is so important because once they get a little bit of that feel of like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal, they'll also be more relaxed in the session as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then so, so even, even inviting, then inviting a story, mm-hmm. right? For example, I've used I've used the paint me a picture of what your life looks like right now. Yeah. Right. In the scenario, paint me paint me a picture about it. So it's almost like getting out of the idea that you're going to tell me about what you can and can't do, and and the idea of if you can have a high level, develop some high level questions. So paint a picture. Tell me, tell me the story of how you got here. What does your day look like, mm-hmm. or or what does how how have you been impacted by mm-hmm by what's happening to you, right? Mm-hmm. So the typical standard open-ended questions, yeah. and then you can probe more, right? Oh, because you're gonna wanna be, you're gonna wanna be listening. So this is an opportunity for us to really listen. If we're listening to stories, we want to be able to contact poignant statements or things that people are saying. So mm-hmm. for example, wow, that you, that sounds really important, Yeah. right? Could you tell me, describe that a little bit more for me? Right. Or you might be noticing on looking for nonverbal behaviors, because this is important. They're talking about about something about car accident and they start their voice starts to rise and they start to come up and going, wow, when when you start talking about the accident, your whole posture changes. Do you notice that even saying that opens up an opportunity for them to talk? Can you tell me more about how that feels when you talk about it? I almost guarantee you they'll go, oh, I didn't even notice I was doing that. Oh, yeah. Right. So then that opens up another avenue. Right. So it's really about not necessarily always having the perfect thing to say. We have some of those bread and butter things that you open with, but being responsive and actually tracking for verbal and nonverbal behaviors and making contact with them by just just an acknowledgement, even an emotion. That sounds frustrating. Oh, yes. Well, (laughs) that opens up a whole other story. Exactly. Right. And I think we, we, when they're sharing and we can, I mean, that's really that whole reflective listening piece is like, I have a hypothesis. This sounds like this is frustrating for you or whatever, right? Like letting like sort of some of those lead in statements and phrases that give an opportunity for the patient to confirm your hypothesis 
or to say, no, 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 actually, it's not frustrating. It's actually just feel like I'm just sad about it, right? Like, but now you've given the patient an opportunity to clarify and you've made contact again, right? Absolutely. And so that, that opens up like that, the idea of even your attitude, okay, going in needs to be of curiosity, right? I want to learn about this human being, right? That's what I want to learn about. I don't necessarily want to learn about the knee. That will come, but let, tell me about you. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I was going to mention too, is I have started a Facebook group for clinicians and we do actually have a free guide that we're giving for like questions that you can ask your patients that you may find helpful as well. So I'll just put that on the screen so you can see that. But because yeah, I think it's, it's always nice to have a few questions to go with to start the conversation. And I would say like a really good tip is like, what are things that I usually don't have time to talk about when I'm doing a history usually? And reflect on that for yourself, right? Like, because it's going to be different for everybody. Like, I, oh, I might, I might skip over goals, or I might skip over some of their history, or I might skip over whatever, and jot those things down and say, you know what, I'm going to make a point of actually digging into that a little bit more. And use that as an opportunity to actually grow in, and develop in your skill of asking questions with patients. I know, yeah, I know we're I getting think, close to the time here. So yeah, I, think, okay. I think unfortunately we're out of time. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wish this would go on forever, but almost an hour and here we are. <laughs> what do we say, Kathy? We said once you got started, you're going to have a hard time stopping. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much to everyone for attending, but especially to Maxie and Andrew for all of these considerations and reflections about virtual care. I think as we become more familiar with these virtual platforms and we start really looking at this revised model of service that the concepts are important to keep in mind as we move forward as a profession, not just individually. So thank you very much for your time. I wish all of you a great day. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode where Max and I chat about telehealth and the therapeutic relationship. If you're wanting to connect with other rehab professionals to learn how to tackle telehealth in your practice, I'd encourage you to check out a Facebook group that recently started called 30 Days to Tackle Telehealth for Rehab Professionals. It's a Facebook group, and it's a place where we just want to learn together. Everyone's in the same boat. We're all new to this. And really, it's about learning and connecting and growing and really just becoming more confident and competent delivering our rehab services in a telehealth environment. If you'd like to join this group, it's pretty easy to find. You can always search Facebook or you can go to this address and we'll also make sure to include this in the show notes. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tackle period telehealth. So once again, that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tackle dot telehealth. And I hope you have a great day and stay tuned for the next episode. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's uh, great having you on the show today. Now, if you've been enjoying the new show, I'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes as this just helps more people find out about the podcast and we'd love to, to get your feedback. And if you want to check out the show notes from the podcast, just go to ignitephysio.ca forward slash podcasts. And if there's any topics that you want us to cover, just shoot us an email at hello at ignitephysio.ca and we'll make sure to get back in touch with you and, and see what we can do there. So. Anyways, thanks for joining us on the show today. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.